I have an abbreviation for you, NAP, NAP. Anybody here like naps as much as I do? The afternoon is my favorite thing to do. That's why my door is always closed between two and four, just kidding. Um, but there's another meaning for nap. It's an abbreviation that I'll bring to you this morning from another an acronym, CPE, which is Clinical Pastoral Education. For the last several weeks, I've been involved in my fourth unit of chaplaincy at Westchester Medical Center. It's a series of a total of 1,600 hours of working with patients, doctors, staff in a hospital setting. And my supervisor, Susan Lunning, we had some of the team come in from the ACPE, which is the Chaplaincy Certification Group. And in the process of talking about our work at the hospital and Susan's way of leading us, they referred to her as a non-anxious presence. NAP, non-anxious presence. I thought about that for a while. I'm still thinking about it and writing about it too. Now, I had heard about that before, that phrase, but probably not for five years since I did my last unit. A non-anxious presence. Certainly, that is something that is needed in a place like a hospital, filled with stress, anxiety, wondering, and worry, and concerns. And while the patients in our hospital are the primary focus, this particular hospital has the highest percentage of acute care cases in the country. So there's a great deal of focus on the patients and their very special needs. It also translates and cascades to the staff, the doctors, the nurses, the guys and gals who park the cars, because it really is a healing center. It's a very unique sort of place where everybody, whether they're thinking about it or not, in some ways contributing to the healing of the people who come there for help and in creating a non-anxious presence for family and others who visit during times of duress. So it's sort of a natural question for me to ask myself, Ray, are you a non-anxious presence? Sometimes. I think a fair answer is sometimes. Sometimes I think about things before I react, and sometimes I don't. The difference between reacting and responding, perhaps. And when I think before I act, I am generally a non-anxious presence. And when I just react, there is a chance in there 50-50 chance. Maybe I'm not going to be so non-anxious. The truth is, though, I think there are times for both. I think there are times to be non-anxious in such a way, and then also perhaps a time where reaction is required. If the building is on fire, I'm not about to say, oh, hi, do you see that smoke? No, I'm not going to do that. And I have to say that my own inclination as a person is to be, to try and be intuitive in the way that I do things. Myers-Briggs, if anybody's done those, those personality sorters or things, 
Basically, I come up as somebody who likes to immerse himself in what's going on and then develop a sense of how to respond without necessarily sitting down and charting every course or every path that I take. It's just a way that I prefer to do things. I like to be and to be ready and to be knowledgeable and to respond to things in a way that just is natural as can be. But that is not always 100% effective. Intuition is not always 100% effective. And so that idea of even within the best of conditions, somehow having that split second where I think prior to responding or even reacting is a good thing for me to practice. And I am working on it. I'm working on it. But the truth is I have a lot of enthusiasm and sometimes that sort of bubbles over into just doing things. But I think it's more. I think it also has to do with the fact that I am very much driven to the fullness of life. Listen, I do not want to live this life or the next, if I have anything to say about it, in any way other than the most fullest, wonderful, exciting of ways. There's a Jack London quote that I've used here before. I'll use here it again. I like to use it whenever I can. It's attributed to him, and in it he says, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze then it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The function of humans is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Yippee, yes, I agree. I just catch on fire when I think of that. When I think of living at the edge or the limitations of who we are and what we believe in and trying to be more of who we are as a human being as well as a spiritual being, to be in that place of the wonder and the possibility of all that there is to explore and to explore it in ways that are helpful to others in carrying the message of rising above that which drags us down so much. Yes, I want to be a meteor, every atom of me in superb a magnificent glow. And I think Paul's got it. He's, he's got it, you know. Even after all he's been through, if you read this letter to the Philippians, if you get a chance, go online, go somewhere, just Google, look up Paul, letter to the Philippians, and read some of the commentary on it. He's been through a lot. I mean, but when you read this, he's a happy guy. He's a happy guy from the inside out. Now, I don't know if it's clear to you or not, but he's writing this Where's he writing this from? He's in prison. He's in prison writing this stuff. And here's what he's saying. I'm far happier than you ever would guess. I've learned how to be content with whatever my circumstances. In some of the 12-step meetings, there's a slogan that you hear now and then. It says, I want what I have. It's, it's a slogan of gratitude. I want what I have. You know, I'm not always there. I'd, I don't always want what I have. I, if I stop and I think about it enough, I can get there. But just sort of like, oh, a new iPhone's coming out, right? I gotta get that new iPhone, right? I mean, I, the one I have, it's not good enough. <laughs> I don't want what I have. And it doesn't come with a title. You know, this, this, this business about being comfortable and peaceful and 
wanting what I have. And it doesn't come with the title of pastor. It doesn't come with the title of teacher, human being. It, it just sort of isn't something that's there other than there to be discovered. And what makes Paul so genuinely content and happy and pleased? Well, he says it. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I'm not sure if you said to me, move the center of your life over so that Christ can become the center. I'm not even sure what the center is I would move. I'm somewhere in there. I know God is the center of my life. I know the teachings and presence of Jesus is. But to really be a core to the degree to refer and believe and talk about things as Paul does, uh, I'm still working on it. I mean, he revels in God. He says it, revel in God. And he's not crazy. He's not crazy. I mean, he's, he's committed to these beliefs, but he's not nuts. Yes, if the tradition that we believe is true, he is a threat. He's a threat to the state. And he will pay for that with his life. But he's not a crazy guy. And he's gotten it. He's gotten that non-anxious presence in the midst of all of the turmoil and all of the confusions of the times. That's what I saw this morning when I read Paul. When you read scriptures, as my, one of my former professors liked to say, and I've said it before, when you read the Bible, it reads you. And this morning and this week, as I read this passage, this is the way that it read me. But let me take a breath for a second here. I want to admit something else. I look for heroes now and then. Mentors, guides, heroes. And I know from those that have been my mentors and my guides, and I know from those who I refer to as heroes, that none are perfect. None are perfect if perfect refers to a monotone existence. Oh, everything's wonderful. Yes, I'm so calm. I am always so peaceful. I am always there. It's okay. It, I can't do that. I can't do that. That borders too much to me to being close to not being alive. E.E. E. Cummings once said, unbeing dead is not being alive. I remember that. It's the only thing I remember from high school poetry classes. But that's not to me what being a hero is about. Being a hero is being someone who has that human and that drawing, pulling, driving force to do good, to make a difference in the world. And being at peace, being non-anxious, holding on to beliefs that are greater and more important than anything we can possibly do or create ourselves doesn't mean that we don't have a meltdown now and then. And I really appreciate it when people around me have a meltdown now and then because it makes me feel better about the meltdowns now and then that I have. I had a principal in high school who was absolutely wonderful. 
And I mean, I was in that classroom five periods a day, five days a week, 40 weeks a year. I was doing all the, I used to call it shows, five shows a day, right? Five days a week. And there were some of those shows that got a little tense once in a while. And I would lose it. And I'd look at this principal and he was always so calm, so relaxed, so above it all. And one day I saw him lose it and I was so happy. I was so happy. And Paul has lost it. We know Paul has lost it. And I'll tell you what, I think Jesus lost it. Turning over tables, rebuking Peter. Jesus, Paul, none of these folks were living in an idyllic world. I mean, come on, look what happened to them. And it's no accident or surprise to me that the ancient writers frequently saw this God as flames and floods and brooding and angry and changing God's mind. Not because that was God, but because that's how they, as humans, knew the world around them and they knew God through those descriptors. Were they talking about God or were they really talking about something that was closer to a reflection of themselves? That's our human nature to be caught up in these stresses sometimes, to react rather than to respond, to be anxious perhaps sometimes rather than non-anxious. But we work at it, and most of us, those of us here, work at it through what we come to believe in the course of our faith and our religion. The bottom and the top line for me is that we are human and we aspire for more. Many of us are driven in different ways trying to seek the most meaning of both in our lives. And for many of us, the presence of God is the single most trusting part of who we are that no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, God is with us, has been with us, is now, and will be down the road in the future. And because of that, we have nothing to worry about. Things to do? Yep. Things to deal with? Yep. Worry about? No. Only if you want to. And in this meantime, this meantime in which we work, we try to find a way to be a non-anxious presence not to walk around serene and calm for its own sake. But this is part about bringing peace to this world, the peace that is talked about as exceeding all understanding, that even in the midst of the greatest of upheavals and chaos and confusion, we can find what Paul has sitting in a prison, being happier than he ever has been because he has displaced his center with Christ and he knows these things in a way that transcends everything that's going on around him. I want to make a little shift for a minute. <clears throat> There's some quotes on the front of the bulletin about different things going on that talk about this world in which we are trying to live some kind of a peaceful life in the midst of much that's happening. And one of the quotes there is from Steve Jobs, who, Jobs, who was a co-founder of Apple and died this week, or was it still this week? It was early this last week at age 56 of complications from pancreatic cancer. And I, and I, bring, I bring Steve Jobs up 
for a couple of reasons, but one of them is in some ways, you know those heroes I talked about? Because I'm sort of a techie guy. Steve Jobs is a hero of mine. Now, I knew him only by his public reputation and by his remarkable talents and skills in building the most valuable of all companies based on last week's value in the New York Stock Exchange, uh, on the Stock Exchange. But I also know him, of him, reading of him, as someone who really strove to places beyond what others and even he saw as barely possible and he wasn't always a non-anxious presence. I do not think that most people who knew Steve Jobs would describe him as a non-anxious presence. He was a perfectionist. He was a taskmaster. He pushed things. There's a story about the engineer who brought to him the first iPod, came walking into his office and said, Steve, look at what I got. A thousand songs on this. And according to the story, Steve looked at it, turned it over in his hands a couple of times, back and forth felt it, and he said, it's too big, make it smaller. And the engineer says, what, this is, this is absolutely the best, look at how small this is. And as the story goes, he got up, he went over to the fish tank, he dropped it in the fish tank, and bubbles started coming up, and he said, there's air in there, make it smaller. I admit to seeking a place where the barely possible and the potential for reaching that are made real, especially in dealing with the many challenges we have today. Who here would not raise their hand in favor of peace? And who would not at the same time say, oh my God, how difficult that is to do? But we don't stop. So I take heart in what he said, the quote, part of which is on your bulletin, that he says, talking about life and death and his role in it, he says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, and most important, have the courage to follow your heart and its in intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. There's pieces of Teilhard de Chardin's patient trust in here that was on last week's bulletin cover and Desiderata that was on the cover from before. There's no secrets here. And if you are like me, you may see that heart and that intuition as spirit. The presence of God in our life, the non-anxious, the steady, the true, the indefatigable spirit that speaks in Jesus' words, also on the front of the bulletin, down on the bottom. In John 14, when Jesus is reported to have said, peace, I leave you with my peace. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. A non-anxious, a calming peace, not the admirable heart and intuition that builds great corporations or accomplishes wondrous deeds, but the peace that in times of plenty or want, severity or strife, 
leaves us reveling in God. Now that's something to celebrate. And such is what I seek and what I pray for you. Amen.